Hi, I'm Nancy Pearl, and it's That Stack of Books, along with... Steve Scher. Melinda. Maureen. Carol. Leslie. Roz. Tom. Laura. Katie. I went to a comic book store in San Francisco the day before yesterday, and I went up to the dude, and I said, what, uh, what are some great new graphic novels that are just coming out? And he said, have you read Sex Addicts? I said, no, no, it's great. It's really interesting. And it was really a fine graphic novel about two kids whose special talent was that the world stops when they have sex. And then they decide to use that talent for good and evil. <laughs> Beautiful art, very uh, nice line drawings, and, a, and, you know, a good story. Very surprising story. He gave me one that's called East is West, a very bleak sort of Mad Max meets the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse futuristic world with uh, an, uh, artists who are, um, did you ever look at Mad Magazine's artwork? Yes. All right, so they were that sort of very graphic, thick lines and, and detailed features, very well done. So are we going to distinguish between the two by the, by the format, like a comic has a a paper cover and a graphic novel has. Well, see, this is very interesting because in the evolution of the graphic novel, they are in many iterations. I was reading a, there's a, two other very good comic, I can just, I'll just do this today. This will be my show today. Two other really good graphic compilations that are out, but they started as comic books. One is called Saga, and it's uh, four worlds fighting, and uh, two of the worlds uh, two of the soldiers get together and have a baby and this is a abomination and that sets the that propels the plot forward and then another one that's you I think you would like it it's a mystery set in a Hollywood studio of the 40s and uh, with with one or in the late 40s early 50s one blacklisted writer who's a front and then another one who's a front and then all these corrupt stars and security men and uh, and uh, heads of studios by Ed Brubaker who's a well-known writer and and um and artist very good but steve you wanted to do this show particularly (coughs) because you you rediscovered a comic that you loved yes barnaby yes have you ever did anybody ever hear has anybody heard of barnaby i even brought the book though the radio audience cannot see it so in the 40s pm magazine pm magazine in the 40s was uh uh you know slate New York wasn't the New Yorker because New Yorker was there, but PM Magazine was a left-wing, very hip journal for the intellectuals. And uh, for some reason, Crockett Johnson, who had been a, a commercial artist, they just loved this uh, tale. He wrote a book first, then he started doing the comic strip Barnaby about uh, the young Barnaby and his uh, wacky fairy godfather, who uh, gets them in all sorts of adventures. O'Malley. So Crockett Johnson also wrote at least one children's book, right? He wrote a, The Carrot Seed, yeah, well, I think, was his most famous. Yeah, and he also wrote Harold and the Purple and Crayon. Harold and the Purple Crayon. So maybe I'm wrong about The Carrot no, no, Seed. Am I right no, about you're that? You're right, but that, okay. those, those, those sort of came later. Oh, they did? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. He, made his, he made his bones on Barnaby in PM Magazine because people like Dorothy Parker thought it was... Where is Dorothy Parker's? I think and I am trying to talk calmly that Barnaby and his friends and oppressors are the most important additions to American arts and letters in Lord knows how many years. 
I know that they are the most important additions to my heart. I think Mr. Johnson must love people. I know darn well I must love Mr. Johnson. So with, a, so with you know, accolades like that, Barnaby became this huge craze for a short time. It was the Doonesbury of our time. And it's very funny. You see he's a very simple artist. His, it's, he's, a line, he's all line drawings and black and white. And yes, who, who learned from Crockett Johnson? Yeah, um, uh, Bill Watterson, um, Calvin and Hobbes, which is the book I brought because I love Calvin and Hobbes. And one of the things that I like the best about Bill Watterson is that he has never licensed his characters to Walt Disney or any, any commercial enterprise. So you can't buy little, little Calvinses and little Hobbeses. They're just pure and they would, yeah, he would have made a ton of money. But I, I just love that, um, I just, it's a wonderful portrait of childhood. And you know this just great tale of a boy and his maybe imaginary tiger is I, I just think it's fabulous. There are very few great comics. That was this has been the last great one, Calvin and Hobbes, right? Don't you think? I think so because I think that that it, it illuminates a time of of everyone's life, um, a kind of idyllic childhood. Um, and the relationship between Calvin and Hobbes is, I think, truer in many ways. Uh, comparisons are odious, but I think it's truer in many ways than the Peanuts, than the Charles Schultz cartoons. That's going to be the title of this, of this podcast. Comparisons are odious. <laughs> um, what's interesting about... Wait, wait, wait. But they do propel the action of the podcast. <laughs> What's interesting about the distinction you were asking about comics, comic strips, comic books, the graphic novel, is that the art form has been important and evolving for the last, well, I guess now 100 years. It's been a, an integral art form, but it always is often shunted aside. I mean, Tom's got one of the, one of the seminal characters, right? Superman. And Superman was, I think Superman sort of redefined our mythology and how we think about mythology, and yet he's a comic book. I, I have to ask, just because you have Superman versus the Flash, who wins? Uh, Superman, of course. <laughs> <laughs> he always triumphs in, in the end. But the Flash had stolen his superpowers. And so it was a very close battle. Well, you know, what's funny about that is, is so there was a, there's a graphic novel that came out, and it was based on a series of comics, but it came out as a graphic novel, and it was when Superman, in some iteration, becomes to see himself as a god who should impose his will on the planet. And then Batman has to stop him. And that was a very popular graphic novel, which is now a movie, which is... That it's, that's the next Superman-Batman movie. That's the story. And, I mean, we are gleaning all our, our stories now from the comic book era. Does that surprise you? All, all is strong, but well, you get I me. was going to say all, all. Um, I, well, I, it does... Popular culture. In popular culture. Right. I, I think that... Uh, 
I, you know, I think I think Superman has enduring. I mean, the story of Superman that he's abandoned. You know, his parents send him out. Um, there they die, but he, you know, there there he is. He's they're going to make sure he lives, and he's adopted by this wonderful couple. I mean, it's it's like an ideal story, and then he grows up to save the world. I mean, Steve, didn't you want that for yourself? Oh yeah, and I had a secret identity. But I think Steve's right that it it, it went. For better or worse, it went much further than that. In the United States, Superman became part of the American myth of, you know, Krypton was Great Britain and Superman was America and stood for justice and the battle against worldwide evil. And I think many Americans bought into that as the American story. That the myth of American exceptionalism exactly. is, it had its had its its debut in Superman. That's that's so interesting. Yeah. 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 Well, he did land in Iowa, not yeah. in uh, Vladivostok or something. <laughs> also, I was watching some of the shows from the from the fifties, the Superman TV show, which was so popular. And it is really under underlying all of that is. Superman, the exceptional character, the rest of the world with their evil agents. I mean, it just falls into the myth that we were telling ourselves at the time. But that's why Superman had such a hard time being redefined when characters like Batman redefined the genre, became darker and bleaker, and carried us into the kind of science fiction realm that we were, the speculative fiction realm that we're in today. Anyway. I, w I wanted to ask Nancy a question. She was talking about Kelvin and Hobbes. So do you see that as a coming out of the um, Winnie the Pooh, Christopher Robin background. I always thought that the author oh, had yeah. Christopher Robin, Winnie the Pooh, and Tigger right. in his mind when he started to put together these two characters. You know, I had never thought that, thought about that, but absolutely. You know, remember, t I mean, Tigger just couldn't be contained. He was, he was too bouncy for everybody, and... Um, Oh, exactly. Calvin is not Christopher Robin. Christopher Robin. Not at all, Calvin but, is, but, it, but it's carrying Bart, on Bart that theme. <laughs> Before there was a Bart Simpson. I, yeah, yeah, and certainly the Winnie the Pooh books were for kids, um, and Calvin and Hobbes are, is for adults, and, and so Calvin is such a, a wonderful character. Yeah. Yeah, but I, th I think the author see, yeah, grabbed yeah. onto that kind of theme and carried it forward right. in, into the 20th century. Yeah, cool. God, that's great. Thank you. By the way, how do you distinguish graphic novel from, well, so you have a graphic novel there, or a graphic non-novel, non-fiction right. book. Yes. Um, you know, I think the whole title graphic novel is so, is, is, kind, is definitely a misnomer. And we really should just combine the whole, the whole genre into like comics with an X, you know, or graphica. Some libraries call it graphica, and, and just put it all together. But there's such a, there's always been such a prejudice, I think, until fairly recently, late in the 20th century, um, uh, toward toward comics and toward that whole pictures and books together, pictures and words together. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, sort of an unfortunate thing, and I think that um, Mouse, uh, 
we've, we've talked about Mouse and we've talked about Persepolis, but Mouse was probably the, the, the game changer when it came to adults reading <coughs> books that have illustrations in them. Right. And, and an author artist who was able to integrate his, his, his story right. so completely. Right. Did you ever read Will Eisner's book about God? It was also an example of, of, a, of a very successful book. Now, here's a brand new, have you read this, uh, Scott McCloud, Sculptor? I, I, did, I did read it, yes. A kind of retelling of the, of the Faust legend. Um, but, but Scott McCloud, I think if anyone is looking for a book that will explain comics and explain graphic novels to them, um, Scott McCloud has a book called Understanding Comics. And it, it's one of those books that, when I first read it, what, um, I, I was just like, oh my gosh, this just told me how to read a, a frame. I mean, it told me what it meant that, that they were divided up into little squares and what those gutters meant, what happened in between time passed. And it was just in, so enlightening and so wonderfully presented. So I would definitely, definitely really say that anybody interested the title is understanding comics by scott mcleod that's been reissued he has a new one out called the sculptor which is the a retelling of the faust selling your soul for what you're i mean th these are these are brand these are brand new ones that are best selling and what's interesting is how diverse they are here, Richard McGuire, the story of a corner of a room and the events that have occurred there. <laughs> Building stories, this is Chris Ware's book about uh, a Chicago apartment. And then this one, uh, Seconds, which is a, a young chef plans to open a second restaurant. So the, it, the comics have gone far beyond superheroes or little kids and their dogs. And it is, it is a wide open genre. It is, and I think that more and more people are going to take advantage of what can be done with, the, with that combination of text and, and pictures. And I think, I mean, the sky's the limit. It's just going to be, I, you know, I mean, if you can have that book. I also read the book here, which is a look at a corner, as you said, a corner of the room and what's happened there over, over time. I mean, imagine, you know, what that would be like well, James Galvin did that. He wrote a book called The Meadow many, many years ago, which is like poetry, but it's prose. And it was looking at a meadow, at a part of a meadow over time. But, but here it is now illustrated, if you will. So it's wonder, just great. So the interesting thing for me is that when you, when you realize that the art form has evolved and, and found its way, maybe, found acceptability, then you can go back and look at Calvin and Hobbes or Barnaby and see that those artists were not doing one strip that made that was for one day or even a week's worth of strip. They had the same kind of arc involved in their storytelling that, uh, that storytellers have. So there's a wonderful novel by J. Robert Lennon called The Funnies. And it's the story of a family who, uh, it's fiction, but it's the story of a family who's, the father of the family is, is a cartoonist who has used his family as like to do family circus, if you remember that cartoon. 
and it's it's what it's like to be a child where everything in your life is has now been reproduced in comic form it's wonderful it's out of print but it's available online but it, it's fabulous j robert lennon's um the funnies oh i mean i would i want to say someone who's not so visually oriented something like bill bryson's book at home follows you know has the same kind of detail that that here uh, might have where you just get all the details of what is in a particular you know homes whatever but i just see an increasing our, our brains are so visually oriented that we're becoming more and more visually addicted you know the the, the, the bar for like how it good a CGI or um, adventure film used to be. I mean, some of us love Star Trek in the 60s, right? But now that it's just so dated and it, it, w whether it's writing documents or looking at screen time, we're, we have a very, we have a higher and higher standard for the visual. And so this kind of graphic novels would, would really appeal to people who are much more and more visually oriented in terms of getting their information. Which raises two questions that I'm wondering if anybody has any thoughts of. One is, do, does the fact that we are so visual and that we are turning to this visual medium worry you or anybody about what reading books, on a, words on a page, that is a different sensation and a different interpretation, what it might be doing to our uh, cultural evolution or our mental evolution? You ever thought about that? Um, well, I'd like to hear what other people have to say about that, because I do have thoughts about that. I was just going to say that there's so much more to read and to get through. I think a graphic novel makes a lot of things accessible, both in terms of the amount to read and in terms of the subject matter, like can't we talk about something more pleasant or whatever that one is? Um, my favorite graphic novel was, was um, which I think there's one copy left somewhere in Seattle Public, of uh, Wagner's The Ring. That was just blew me away. I mean, I finally could get through it and understand it, something about it. it was I mean, it's a different, but it's a different way of uh, taking in information, right? Like you were saying, you had to learn to understand where, how time passed in a publication like that. Yeah, but, but getting back to your question about um, trying to get people to read and the role of novels and graphic novels and the inundation of visual stimuli, especially for our kids, it's really difficult to get them to sit down and read when they could be experiencing, they think, something on the computer. And I know, you know, even if with my kids who are now in their 30s, we used to bribe them, or at least bribe our son to get him to read anything. You know, even a baseball card, read this, you know, because there was just so much else that he thought he was controlling things and actually, you know, doing things in these games. So my take on graphic novels and that kind of genre for reading I read a few comics in the newspaper. I'm very selective. I probably read seven specific ones every day or something. The rest I can't be bothered with. But in general, graphic novels are too busy for me. There's too much visual stimulation in them. I can't focus on them. I have trouble reading them. Um, 
I really don't want to read them, and I don't think you get the language in there. It might be a way to get some kids to read if they're simplified and so forth. So I've read three graphic novels, that's all. Um, actually, this is not a novel, it's graphic nonfiction, but could read like a novel. It's Marbles, Mania, Depression, Michelangelo, and Me by um, Ellen Forney, who's a local cartoonist, and I'd read some of her cartoons before. I thought this was fabulous. It is such, they are such spot-on illustrations, perhaps because she's a, an artist, a really good cartoonist. It's very simple. It's an amazing story of her journey dealing with bipolar disorder. And I know people with that, and I've read a, a number of books about it, so I certainly had a background for reading this. And, you know, some people say, well, it's kind of hard to read. It's got really kind of tough stuff in it. Well, it does, but that's life, and that's bipolar disease. But um, this is so... Uh, it, I just thought it was amazing. And we read it for book club. Otherwise, I probably would never have picked up anything that was a graphic novel on my own. The ones I've read are because people said, you should read this. Um, but her illustrations, whether it's visiting the psychiatrist or dealing with her parents or dealing with herself, and like most many bipolar people, it took her 15 years to realize she really needed medication to well, how does that, do I that. The, the fact that you were able to delve into that, how does that shape your notion that too busy, I don't like to read them? I mean, there's a whole world of graphic novels out there that that might attract you. Um, I'm curious also about your, what you said about language, though. Well, I think, I mean, you get vocabulary in here and so forth, but the kinds of books I think I really like to read, the writers have a, a, a really good grasp of words, of language, of how to put words together, how to make sentences flow or be abrupt, or how to, just how to make them really striking. And I'm sure that's possible in a graphic novel, but um, most of the ones I open, just I just want to close them up again. So somehow, I know a lot of people read this in an hour. I think I spent at least four or five hours reading this because I just was so absorbed in thinking about it. And um, anyway, I would highly recommend it. But in general, I don't see myself reading graphic novels by choice a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I think reading a, a page of te pure text and and re or reading a novel, and reading a graphic novel are two entirely different experiences, <laughs> and I, I I think it's a mistake to conflate them. Um, I too am. What what I what makes me like a, a novel is the language. And the, and the character development, but, but primarily the language. It, for me, it has to be well-written. And I think that, that what substitutes for the language aspect in a graphic novel is the illustrations. And I don't have, I don't have a sense of that. I mean, I, I mean, I'm not a visual person at all. I mean, I'm not a visual person in that way, so I don't appreciate that. I mean, you know, it's... I find reading graphic novels, and I read them because I feel like I need to read them, and some of them I really have loved, but, I, but it's not what I would choose to sit down with ever. And I read Marbles, too, and I thought that was wonderful, and there's a, a children's book, or middle grade, I guess, called, I think it's called El Defo, and it's about a deaf fourth or fifth grader who, who 
pretends that she is, um, you know, has superpowers. Um, and, and uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I absolutely see their place in, in, the, in the world of literature, but for me, they're much harder to read and they don't give me what I want. Which is? Which is language that sings or makes me think about the words. Um, I, you know, I mean, I, it just has to have, I want to be struck by the language. Doesn't have to be, yeah, it doesn't have to be floaty, it doesn't have to be ornate, it just has to give me something that makes me happy. To me, there's a big difference between um, illustrations and cartoons. I'm really, even though I don't read cartoons much, I really like looking at cartoons because I think it's fascinating that you can just like tweak one little line and you know exactly what's happening in that cartoon's mind, you know. It, uh, the really simplicity of a cartoon and the expression on the face, just one little thing can change and it, it goes from frame to frame. And you do it without even, I mean, I do it without even thinking about it, you know what's happening. And um, I took a cartooning class once a long, long time ago, and I just thought it was really interesting how just those little things that we all recognize without even thinking about it, the little exclamation point or the little flash going off in the corner, and we grew up with it and we interpret it. Some of this discussion reminds me of the debate that went on when people talked about the difference between radio and television. One of the differences, and very important difference, I think, is what goes on in the mind the imagination of the of the person listening to the radio or watching television or reading a book or looking at a graphic novel and the pictures that you're given with TV or the graphic novel take away some of that imaginative effort in your brain when you listen to a radio program you had to imagine what those characters looked like and how they look to you is probably different than how they look to the person sitting across the room from you. And the same goes on with reading a, a novel. You have to picture and imagine what the characters look like as opposed to a graphic novel where that's how they look and those become those characters. That's why they're graphic novels, though, or graphic books. It's be like we don't expect a painting to do the same thing to us as a novel, a painting, in a, a portrait, uh, go to an art museum and look at things. You're seeing different visions by different people and you're interpreting them in, internally. Isn't that, I mean, that's what, to me, that's what makes them singular. I'm not reading this book in this, with the same mindset that I'd be reading a, a painting or a, a comic book. But don't you think you have to work harder I, I mean, I'm thinking about the Harry Potter books, and, and I'm thinking about the difference between reading the Harry Potter books, kids reading the Harry Potter books, and, and having in their minds pictures of, you know, Hermione and Ron and Harry and Hagrid and Dumbledore, and, and then going to the movies and seeing somebody else's. Now, they did a wonderful job casting those movies. I, I can't complain about that at all. But but everybody has a different picture of, of those characters. And then once you see it in a film, it's set. You can't see them in any other way. Um, I, I think, that, I think that, that, that Tom's point about imagination, see, visualizing in your head, I mean, that's what, that's, you can get that from books, but you can't get that. I can't think of anything else that you use that part of your brain for. Well, he's arguing you use it for radio or audio books. Oh, 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 right. I mean, I mean, oh, oh, yeah. I mean, things that you, 
things where you don't have a picture to guide your thinking. I mean, I think that's why the War of the Worlds was so scary, was because everybody's imagination made that happen in a different way. I mean, if we had seen it on television, we could have seen the strings behind it or whatever. But, but just to hear it, boy, that's like, wow. I, even radio, I think, takes away a piece of that because you have the voice of the character. I can remember very much as a kid listening to Tom Mix or, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, the, the Indian character on radio. And the voice changed, I'm sure, my picture of what that character looked like. And I remember several years later seeing a photograph of Tom Mix and it wasn't at all like what I pictured him as listening to this voice on the radio. I mean your imagination can go uh, wild. The, these are different experiences but to, I, I, you, you all are sort of lowering the value of one related to another. A Picasso has less value than a Dickens. No, I, I would just want us to acknowledge that they are different experiences. That's all. I, I agree with that. I, they are definitely different experiences. As you know, I mean, I, I think comparisons can be odious. <laughs> <laughs> Told you this was going to be the theme, Robin. <laughs> this is Robin, and I just wanted to say it's been a journey of discovery to look at graphic novels, and I'm so glad you mentioned it. And it's uh, We're in the theater of the mind now and radio, so it's kind of tough, but I, I, uh, I won't prolong this, but I need to mention a couple titles like this graphic novel of how, where does this fit into its paintings for almost, uh, you know, a couple lines at a time of Allen Ginsberg's classic poem, How. This is not a comic strip, but it's considered a graphic novel. Here's another one, Radioactive, which is a biography of Pierre and Madame Curie. This is in the vein of a children's picture book, but it's by a wonderful artist. And I think this is such incredible art that you're finding in these books now. And just one more book, Onwards Toward Our Noble Deaths. This is by a Japanese artist. He's considered one of the most famous artists in Japan, Shigeru Mizuki. And he won awards for this uh, novel, which is based on his experience in New Guinea during World War II, and it's the story of an ill-fated Japanese unit during the war. It was translated into English, and like the manga books, it reads from uh, back to front, and uh, it's, uh, it's a pretty grim tale of the Bushido Code and how these soldiers are expected either to die in battle or commit suicide. Well, I was just thinking about uh, why, why was it when I was a younger teenager that I was totally addicted to Mad Magazine and all the stories and, uh, that came out of there, and these were really grotesque, and I'm not quite sure if it was a need to just rebel against uh, polite society or, or what it was, but I found uh, that I would hoard those and read them before I went to sleep, and... and uh, I think if you look at the work of uh, Robert Crumb, I think it is, and, and some of the others, the grotesque, uh, I'm not quite sure what, uh, 
why it appeals so much, but it definitely has an appeal to a whole lot of different people who are looking for something not beautiful. I think it is because of its forbidden aspect. At least my mother hated Mad Magazine, so we used to have, you know, the rolled up magazine under the mattress, you know, <laughs> like reading through it over and over and over again because it was contraband. Don't you think South Park is the Mad Magazine of today? I mean, it's got the same appeal as What Me Worry. I think what you haven't mentioned is the perception that, at least for me, that graphic novels are more relaxing. So I'll read the most dense graphic novel ever because I perceive it as a cartoon. So like I'll think of it as a break, even though it's not um, necessarily a break. But I associate cartoons with relaxation. So if I want to chill out, I'd rather read marbles than Dickens. <laughs> well, I just don't want us to forget Walt Kelly's Pogo because I think that was a seminal cartoon that that managed to um, to to be uh, a political commentary on the times as well as a very entertaining. I like how we conflated comics, <laughs> comic books, and uh, the graphic novel, and uh, Picasso. Thank you all. <laughs>